Hello and welcome to the April edition of the Cinetopia radio show. I'm Amanda Rogers, founder of Cinetopia, and I'm here with Gary, who's come back um, to be on the show this, this month. Gary, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Amanda. Um, thanks for having me back. I enjoyed uh, my debut last month. So yeah, um, glad to be back. So you've been checking out a lot of films in Edinburgh this month then? Yeah, yeah, it's been um, it's been a very busy month of films, um, and quite a few of the films that we spoke about um, last time are now have had their cinema releases, which is nice. Um, and then, yeah, I've been um, keeping up with the latest releases as well. Yeah, I know. Last month, because it was the Glasgow Film Festival special, I I did note that a lot of those films are yet to come out, or they were just coming out this month. So it's good for people to check our March edition as well, just because we had some great films um, on on there, and a lot of mentions of other films that um, everyone among the the team had seen uh, as as part of the Glasgow Film Festival. Coming off that, I just got through a, a massive move, which. It wasn't massive, but it always feels massive. I've just realized I've moved six times now in the last 10 years and it just, it's never gets easier, even though I keep calling stuff. Um, but yeah, so I'm just coming out of that, um, of that fog and uh, checking out a lot of films this uh, weekend for our show review and um, was quite happy just to be in the cinema this weekend and enjoying enjoying the films and not moving boxes across Edinburgh. Um, so we're going to be reviewing three films this month. Um, the Northman by Robert Eggers, uh, Lost City, uh, directed by Aaron Adam Nee, and um, Compartment Six, uh, which is directed by Yuho Kosman. And um, I also got to sit down with Laura Wada, who uh, made the film Born in Damascus. Um, well, it was made through the Scottish uh, Documentary Institute and uh, it won the Crystal Bear for Best Short Film at the Berlin Alley. Um, as, uh, so uh, we'll be talking um, to her later in the show. So all of that on the April show, uh, let's get to it. So one elephant in the room is that uh, the Oscar has happened in between our last uh, our last uh, show. And uh, as everyone who is a regular uh, here knows, I'm a huge Oscar. Uh, I'm a huge Oscar fan, not because I think, you know, their, their choices are val- very like valiant and great, but I just love all the pomp and circumstance of, uh, yeah, of, of film, film people getting in the room. Although this one was particularly well, it was a particularly interesting one. Um, and I think they were looking for ratings um, and accidentally got something out of this one that no one expected. Uh, but aside from the obvious uh, thing that happened that everyone talked about uh, during the Oscars, uh, Gary, what was your, did, did, were you following it? Did you have any favorites or were there any films that you were disappointed uh, won? Anything you want to comment on? Um, yeah, um... I, I'm, I'm like you, I love the Oscars um, and I love the the whole award season and that and that buzz and the, and the run up to it, like starting off from the Golden Globes and then running through to the BAFTAs and the SAGs and then it's like the, the finale of award season when it finally gets to the Oscars. Um, and yeah, there's been a lot of controversy around this year's ceremony, even before the, the, the slap, the infamous slap. Um, with things like they put a musical rendition in from Encanto that wasn't nominated for an award and they shifted, I think, ten, eight, was it eight of the technical awards to like before the televised section. So people were already up in arms about the, the Academy and how they put together their ceremony. But um, I think in terms of the winners and the, um, yeah, the, the films that were celebrated, I think it, pretty much when as everybody was expecting I think there's always that I'm always fascinated with the 
late surge um, where the sort of little indie film always comes up against the one that's been the favourite for months. So um, personally, I was pleased to see Coda win Best Picture. It was one of my favourites from the from the nominated films. Um, the only one that I think didn't really go the way that I was hoping and partially expecting was Penelope Cruz missing out for Parallel Mothers. Mm -hmm. um, thought that performance was one of the best of the year. Um, but yeah, Jessica Chastain was a deserving winner as well. I think um, she's been doing so much good work for so many years and um, maybe Eyes of Tammy Faye is not her best performance, but I guess like almost in the same way Leo DiCaprio won for The Revenant, I think she was almost due one. Yeah. One thing I don't like, I love living in Edinburgh, and uh, but the one thing I don't like is the fact that I can't watch, you know, these ceremonies uh, unless I stay up really late. But luckily I had serious paperwork to do. So I kept it on and watched the whole thing down, um, was losing the tension until till these this infamous, infamous moment and then couldn't sleep again. Um, after that. So I was up all night. Uh, so I, so I got to watch the whole, um, the whole, the whole show. And I think partially why I like it, like you said, I like the whole season. I like the dresses. I like the pomp and circumstance of, of, of all of it. And this is kind of the grand finale of that season. Um, and it could be a little shot in Freida, but I love watching live television. I mean, so I do a lot of like events and like I've done, I've done sort of live, live award events for, for more corporate stuff. And I do love watching when things go wrong or how think you know, how transitions like work or don't work and like how people get affected like this. And this was the one that just did went really, really wrong. Like I remember when uh, La La Land had been accidentally um, announced and then it was really moonlight. And this, that was, that was also a shocking kind of moment, like live television happening. But this one was particularly, um, yeah, it was was particularly interesting. Even before the the altercation had happened, this idea of taking the the some really core some really core awards out and then pretending that they're part of the live um, that was really shocking to me. So it would be like it just really felt very staged, and I don't know why they thought that would be a good idea. Um, and, and it was very disappointing. Like you said, it was controversial, but for me, one of my most favorite parts of the Oscars is the shorts. Um, I, I like to, I like to go see the short documentaries in particular, but if I can then go to see the short live actions or the, and whatnot and root for those films. So when I heard that I was, I was this close to, to banning the Oscars as well, like as everyone else seems to on the Cinetopia show. But um, at least they, they'll do have them come up, but it was like in this fake way. And so that was very, if they had just kind of done it more, uh, like uh, if they had done it in a way that was very more explicit, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been so awkward. But I love how they, 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 like, I love hate how they were going back to like someone who was actually in the audience, even though that, you know, like sort of reaction shots and stuff like that. So that was a bit awkward. I do, I did really love the Beyonce um opening and that was kind of amazing I also kind of found last year was super bizarre too and I know that was like the worst rated Oscars ever but what they're tr they're trying things you know to try to make it you know make it more interesting and I find I kind of find a like like that process um and this time I thought they they did quite a great job apart from the, the the movement of those awards and apart from you know what what happened and was it was out of their control I thought that um the hosts were really fun and and I I really so I so I enjoyed all that aspect of it yeah it's interesting that they always try and play with the format a little bit I know um last year they put best actor last which was I guess um because they thought that Chadwick Boseman was going to get it posthumously and, and that kind of backfired so like they, they never really seemed um, to get it right but I think it's funny that the film uh, community now has this sort of love-hate relationship with the academy because it got slated after this year's ceremony but you just know that in a year's time everybody is going to be tuning in for the next one so um, people I, I don't I guess like some people do boycott it but I think there's always going to be um, that hype around it. Well I guess for you know I'm not a, I'm not a film critic by trade, you know, I, I'm a filmmaker. So, but I, but I do think that it's, it's a bit of maybe overhearing about it for certain film critics. They, they dislike that. I, you know, 
I think it's part of history and, you know, and, and tradition. And I love, I've loved that aspect of it, but yeah, it was, it was such a bizarre one last year, but obviously because of the pandemic, they had to find the right location and they had to do the right, you know, stuff. But there was like a DJ set and it was just very, it was really bizarre to see it in the way that it was shot and everything like that. And I actually think that's, it's interesting because it's, you know, this is these, these times, you know, the, we're living in a, a time where things had to change and, and they're, you know, and they're experimenting with stuff. Um, I didn't love like that. They put, I mean, it, it's also funny because they were trying to bring, they've always tried to bring down the time timing on the, on the, on the show and it always gets longer. And this, in this case, it was, you know, unexpected why it got so much longer. Um, but there was, you know, particular moments, which I guess is maybe just like what I love is like, particular moments of emotion that, you know, just comes out of, you know, certain people this time again, very different with Will Smith's emotional speech after what he did. Um, but, you know, just little moments like Lady Gaga with Liza Minnelli. Um, those were su such sweet moments and, you know, and, and it's, you know, it was a really interesting watch. So I'm glad I had some massive paperwork that I stayed up to see the probably the most infamous uh, Oscars ever in Oscar history. But on that note, we will uh, we'll, we'll go to our first film who uh, might get nominated, who knows, uh, for next year's Oscars, who, who knows? Um, it's uh, Robert Eggers' The Northman. Now, behold. He's here. He's here. Mother! Mother is here! The king, my lady. The king. Your fate is set and you cannot escape it. How oh, I've missed you, my son. One day this kingdom will be yours. Thank you, father. My king. Gary, why don't you tell us about uh, this film? Yeah, so um, so The Northman, it's the latest film. It's a third, third film from uh, visionary director Robert Eggers. Um, the story begins when King Arvindil, uh, played by Ethan Hawke, returns home from a Viking battle to his wife, Queen Gudrun, played by Nicole Kidman, and their son. Now, when, his, um, when the king's brother, uncle Fionor, kills the king to claim the throne, it sets up a revenge story many years later as um, Alexander Skarsgård takes on the role of the young son um, and grows up to avenge his father, rescue his mother and kill Uncle Fionir. Are you a big Robert Eggers fan? How did you, what was your overall impression of this film? Um, I, I am a fan of Robert Eggers and um, I really like this one. I think his uh, films have a distinctive uh, tone to them. Uh, they're very weird. Like he, his first movie was the folk movie, uh, The Witch, and then he went on and made the, uh, the the Lighthouse with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And I think like his films, as good as they are, they're not very. They might not be the most accessible. And I think this time around, he's thrown a lot of money at at this movie and and made something that feels big in scale, is big in budget. But it also has his own distinctive style. Like I think he's developing into what what you would call a an auteur. Um, so yeah, I think you you hear about a lot of these indie directors getting the big paycheck to make the big movie, and then it doesn't really feel like it's their movie because the studio gets too involved. But I think with this one, it, it still very much feels like the type of movie that he wanted to make. Um, and it's strange to think that well this. The story that it's based upon is an old Scandinavian uh, myth that inspired Shakespeare to write Hamlet. So it's funny that it's this um, obscure Viking myth and it's 
this mythical story and it's probably the most accessible film that he's made so far. Yeah, I mean, this is not, I, I was excited to see it uh, partially because the cast and yeah, and to see a, a major, yeah, a big budget Robert Eggers film. And, you know, this kind of like, as you said, kind of this mixture between mainstream sort of film, you know, when I went to see it um, on Friday, the, you know, the, the, the screening was packed and it's got that kind of, you know, obviously just the marketing of it. It's got the, this generation's gladiator and yeah. it's, and it's very Game of Thrones kind of thing. So, you know, sort of energy to it. I, I'm just gonna start out with saying, I, that's not my kind of film. And I'll say a lot of good things about the film because it, but, but it's just, this is not the kind of film that I normally would go see. Yeah. Um, and I never really got, even though I know everybody in my life got, you know, like loves Game of Thrones. I never got through, but like the first season of Game of Thrones, I'm just not into that kind of sort of, bizarre fantasy sort of uh revenge like a family storyline so I like just in that aspect that was all the way through this film it's not my kind of film um that being said it was incredibly bizarre and incredibly bizarre in a very interesting way and I you know I I enjoyed it for yeah for what you said is kind of there was this wasn't this wasn't a art house filmmaker or auteur being given a Marvel film. This was certainly um, a, a film's take, a, you know, a filmmaker whose budget has been risen and you see what, you see what someone does with that. Um, uh, it, it was, it was wild, you know, in lots of ways. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's a, a little bit of a mismarketing almost like calling it. It's clearly what they're trying to do. They're trying to get that mainstream audience in there. I, I was the same. I saw it on Good Friday and it was a packed screen. And I think maybe it's not what people, people might not get what they're expecting from this. But I think that there, yeah, there's weirdness in it. There's a whole sequence where um, Bjork turns up in it because of, of course she does. Um, and he, Robert Eggers, co-wrote this screenplay with uh, Sion. It's an Icelandic poet, and met Björk through her. Um, so there's there's some strange imagery and weird scenes, but I also think that at its basis, it's quite a simple revenge tale. Like we've seen it um, time and time again, like through uh, Hamlet or even like something like The Lion King. I've seen it being compared to, um, but I think this time it was just very, very well made. Um, it looked, it looked great, um, and I think it had, without giving too much away, there's a, some, a little bit of a refreshing twist on the gender roles in this film, um, mm. especially with Nicole Kidman's character. Um, I've seen like a little bit of criticism around her accent, um, but I, I thought she was great, and I think, um, I don't know if you'd seen the Amazon show that she'd done a few months ago, Nine Perfect Strangers. She kind of had this kooky um, accent that you couldn't quite place in that. And I think she kind of leans into that again with, with this type of role, but I thought she was she did a remarkable job. Um, and also Anya Taylor-Joy, I thought was was amazing in it. Um, it's nice to see how her back in a Eggers movie after she had her breakthrough role in, in The Witch. And uh, there's actually there's quite a few people that were in The Witch that um, that turn up in this again. You got Kate Dickey and Ralph Innocent turning up for quite small roles. But I think like that, that's another. You think of like the great auteurs in cinema or modern auteurs, and they go back to the same cast members again and again, like Wes Anderson and Quentin Tarantino. And I think like Robert Eggers has kind of got that a completely different, distinctive style to to those. But he's got his very much his own vision, and I think. Uh, this film's definitely like a product of that. Yeah, I mean, there's a really interesting thing that you mentioned, Wes Anderson, because then I, I started to think about the trajectory of Wes Anderson and when he did The Life Aquatic, that was like the first film that he had got a huge budget and people's response wasn't completely positive right at that time, but then now it's grown to probably known as one of his best, you know? Um, I do think it's a mainstream, I, I mean, I, I, got, I guess we'll see what the, what the box office and the responses, but it, it, it does feel like a mainstream film or people will enjoy it because it is a simple tale, like you said, and it's a simple tale that perhaps 
you know, resonates with, with people because it's been in folklore for over and over. And I did read all the sort of background on how, you know, how, how he wrote, wrote it. And like you said, Bjork's show up, but you know, that could be anyone. So these are sort of special little moments for maybe the, yeah, the, the indie crowd to enjoy as much as the mainstream crowd will, will like, um, I agree with you. I mean, I didn't see the whole, uh, nine perfect strangers, but I did notice that the the accent was a bit off. Also, like, what language are they like, you know, speaking through the whole thing? There was like some fake English language and I didn't know where we were. I mean, obviously it was Iceland for a bit, but yeah, when there's mention of Orkney and and I'm like, this is just, yeah, this could have been filmed in in, uh, Scotland for sure. Like the scenery was just, the scenery was breathtaking. The film was breathtaking. The, even the shots, like in the, again, the, the, the battle scenes, if you will, were yeah. really beautiful. And so it was, it was clearly a defined, like a, a beautiful auteur filmmaker making a, a Viking film. And I think he said he had to make the most definitive Viking film, which again, not my cup of tea, but don't feel like ever wanting to be a Viking ever. Like that it's felt looked and felt miserable, um, their life, but, uh, lots of long hair. Um, but I, but, but I, but I appreciated it for what it was. And so, um, yeah, I don't know if it's my favorite film for sure. Um, I'm not sure I'll run back to the cinema to see it. Um, but I, but it was good for a night night at the cinema for sure. Um, and I'm curious to see how, how, how the response will be. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it's I think it will find that sweet spot, hopefully, between the art house crowd and the and the mainstream audience. Um, so yeah, I think I think it will do really well. It's probably not my favorite Eggers movie. I think I, I was a huge fan of uh, the Lighthouse. I still think that that's his best uh, work. But it's great to see him get the opportunity to make something on this scale. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, and maybe open people up again to his work and potentially, yeah, um, that seeing the other films as well that he's done. I was just going to say that, uh, like, I didn't think Ethan Hawke was very uh, good in it, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, I, that scene with him and Willem Dafoe at the beginning was, like, b- bizarre, but I, I guess, like, he wasn't in it, like, too much. He seems like he's, like, like doing some a weird um, things that I've just watched the Northman off the back of watching a few episodes of Marvel's uh, Moon Knight. And he's it's a bit of a different role for him in that as well. Yeah. I mean, he is taking some interesting roles and for sure. I, you know, I used to live in, well, I did a small stint in Burham Hill for a couple of years and he lived right around there. So I like to say that like he was my neighbor um, and also a massive fan of him from the nineties being a child of the nineties. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought maybe it's because I've placed him in a kind of type of role or whatever. I, 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 he, he took me out of, of the film right at the beginning where, mm-hmm. like, as you mentioned with, um, with, with the, with the other, the other roles, I mean, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and, uh, Nicole Kidman, I thought their acting was incredible. And obviously, um, Skarsgård was quite, quite, quite impressive in lots of different ways. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, the only quibble I would have is I didn't really buy, um, yeah, Ethan Hawke as the, as, as, as the evil father king or whatever, like her at the beginning. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I thought Skarsgård uh, was excellent in the role he definitely had the physical stature to carry off the the that part and um, like he had bulked up quite a bit and he was super muscly in, in this um so yeah i thought he 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 was great but i think the i think the stars of the show were probably nicole kidman and anya taylor joy for me um i also thought uh clay span um was really good as the um uncle fionier um yeah, I think it was a. I think it was well acted across the board for the most part, and um, yeah, it's very well made. So um, I think it's worth worth a worth a look if you if you like the idea of revenge, <laughs> Viking stories, um, uh, gorgeous film, uh, gladiators fighting of sorts. Uh, it's it's The Northman, and it's out in cinemas right now. So check it out.
with me straight to the lost city. Now, prepare to die. There are just hundreds of snakes in this temple just waiting for us to show up. What? Why aren't they biting that guy? This is ridiculous. Delete. 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 Listen, Loretta, we need you to promote your new book on the lost city. You can't spend your life in the bathtub drinking Chardonnay with eyes. Gentlemen, the world's sexiest cover model, Dash McMahon! You do know you're not Dash, right? Dash is a character I made up. Dash! I, I... Oh my god. Oh crap. Miss Sage, I enjoyed your book about the lost city, and I believe you're the one who could help me find its treasure. I have to respectfully decline. I'm afraid I must insist. Unchain me! That's your seatbelt. Oh, no. Loretta Sage is missing. I'm gonna rescue her. I just want her to think of me as more than a cover model. Let's start living dangerously. Oh. Alan, what are you doing here? Okay, so the next film we're going to review is the um, comedy adventure, or the rom-com adventure, Lost City, uh, which, uh, which stars Sandra Bullock, uh, Channing, Channing Tatum, Brad Pitt, lots of different actors in there um, that gets you, gets you, gets you laughing maybe. Um, so it's about, uh, Sand, well, Sandra Bullock plays a uh, romance novelist who's kind of lost, uh, she's become a little reclusive, very, very sad, and then ends up getting kidnapped um, because of her expertise in, um, in, yeah, and in, in certain a certain lost uh, culture that she's been writing about and ends up on a island and um, or cover model, sorry, of her romance novels, Channing Tatum, who she dislikes very much, um, has goes to save her um, with the help of Brad Pitt for a little bit. Um, lots of long hair as well in this um, quite amusing that we're trending here on like the long hair uh, films, but a completely different kind of film than The Northman. I saw it. I saw those sort of back to back um, and wasn't, you know, I, Gary, you had mentioned seeing this film and I was willing to give it a try. It wasn't the kind of film that I would um, normally um, watch in the cinema. It's definitely one of those films that I would watch on a plane because it was there and it's like randomly I would start crying at some weird moment because I'm on a plane or something like that. But, you know, like it's it's just that's one of those kinds of films you 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 watch there. But I actually have to say and I'll let, I, I want to know what you thought. I, I laughed a lot. I needed it. I needed some some kind of film like that after a move uh, that I had this week. So um, I particularly liked the Brad Pitt. I've always been a Brad Pitt fan, but I particularly like the Brad Pitt moments as well. So I thought I thought it was silly and fun. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, I think after the um, I know we spoke about award season earlier, but I think a lot of, after seeing a lot of like um, serious movies um, in that kind of period of time, like it's nice to get out of that and just see something that's good fun and it's quite mindless. Like you don't need to really put too much concentration into it. The story is bonkers, but I think it's uh, it's really um, a lot of fun thanks to Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. Like the the pair of them, the, the film's definitely at, at its strongest when the two of them are, are shared on the screen. Um, you probably could could have done without the sub the some of the little subplots like the the publicist trying to track them down. Um, I'm not sure I was sold on Daniel Radcliffe. It's a strange strange part for him playing this um, kind of billionaire son villain type. Um, but yeah, I mean, for for Radcliffe fans, I guess like it, it was uh, there's fun to be had in his role. But um, but yeah, I think it was a good mindless popcorn movie that uh, definitely after a stressful week at work or a stressful week moving, it's a it's a bit of a tonic to see that on the big screen. I think one one reason why I did go see it and was interested was the cast. I'm like, why is Daniel Radcliffe and Brad Pitt in this you know in this yeah popcorn movie? Um, I mean, Channing Tatum, I, he wasn't really my era of the rom-com sort of silly, like, like good looking guy kind of thing, but I know that's kind of his, his shtick, you know? So like he, he, he sort of fits that, that, that kind of film. Um, I haven't really seen 
uh, Sandra Bullock in anything in, in years. Um, but it was nice to sort of reminisce because I hadn't seen her, her in a really long time. And I thought, I thought it was kind of a, a fun film for her to be in. And I thought, like you said, I think the chemistry and the, you know, and, and the silliness, um, just brought, kept you along. I, I did like the publicist actually. <laughs> like, I mean, some of it, some of it was just like, some of these jokes just didn't hit, you know, like, but sometimes these, these films like just really go down and are just terrible, terrible, terrible. And you just, you know, whatever, but there were, there were, there were such plenty of moments with this that was fun. And I think that, yeah, this whole like romancing the stone kind of adventure, rom-com sort of, genre that they were playing with um i've not seen a film like that in a really long time that that's yeah. worked um and yeah i was i i was i was curious how and why some of these actors kind of you know came onto this unless they needed a popcorn movie <laughs> or the money i don't know but yeah I've, i found i found uh it hilarious to see uh brad pitt in that role and uh you know like whether or not daniel radcliffe did that best it, he was playing this kind of very stereotypical like you know like I guess there's this trope of of what you would think with a Bond film or something like that yeah yeah there's the, the trope of the spoiled rich kid villain um but yeah the the Brad Pitt cameo was uh was really good and I think like he like I really like this sort of period in Brad Pitt's career where he's not taking himself he doesn't always take himself very seriously we're seeing him in more comedic roles and I know he's got bullet train coming out later in the year which looks a lot of fun um so yeah he was great I'm I'm a big Channing Tatum fan um probably not from like um probably mainly from like the Jump Street movies 21 and 22 Jump Street I think he's great he's got great comic timing um and he worked really well with uh, Sandra Bullock and I think I think with lesser lead lesser talent in the leading roles this might have been one of those films that would fall flat. Um, but I think the pair of them have just got so much star quality that it kind of elevated the writing and it was packed full of jokes. And like you say, they don't always land, but if you didn't like one joke, then there's going to be another one along in a minute that's uh, hopefully going to work better. Um, but yeah, there were some really great one-liners in there and some good dialogue. I noticed it was... Uh, co-written there was four writers credited with it so they had the directors Adam and Aaron Nay uh, alongside two other uh, writers so it's quite uh, quite strange to see so many people co-writing on on the one film and I guess that's maybe uh, why some of the gags were a little bit inconsistent I don't know but um, but I think when it works it, it, it works really well. Yeah. yeah no you're right it is interesting to kind of see these these actors doing different things. I've a long been a Brad Pitt, like a, a fan. <laughs> it's just my, as, as many, as many people have, um, and agree that like, often you see him take, he took himself very seriously early on in his career, almost too much long hair too. legends of the fall. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's silly. It's, it's silly and fun. And, um, and it, it wouldn't have worked, as you mentioned, without strong leads. Um, and, you know, however, however they, they, however they created and crafted the, the story, it's, you know, it's, it's not the best film you'll ever see, but it's, it's worth, it's definitely worth checking out if you're, if you're in the mood for something silly or you're on a plane and you need something to watch. Um, cause, cause that's, that's, that's my kind of, um, film to watch in, in those kinds of situations. So, um, yeah, enjoyed it. Um, surprisingly <laughs> might go see more of those kinds of films in the future. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, me too. I would, I would recommend it. It's, uh, uh yeah, don't, don't expect the, the, the film of the year, but like, if you want, um, good fun and, um, good performances from really talented actors, um, then yeah, definitely go and check it out. So The Lost City is currently in some theaters, probably your local multiplex, and uh, uh, check it out. Hey. <laughs> Ну почему? Ну это же дебилизм. 
So the final film we're going to review today is Compartment 6. It was um, I won the Grand Prix at Cannes, I believe, or one, one, one award at Cannes, I believe. Uh, and uh, Gary, tell me a little bit about this film. Yeah, so compartment number six, it's the second film from director Yuho Kosmanin. Um, it's based on a novel of the same name by Rosa Lixom. And the plot follows Laura um, on a train journey from Moscow to Mormansk sorry, to Murmansk, to study the Canizero petroglyphs, their ancient rock drawings. Um, while she's on the train, she shares a room with um, a Russian miner called Loika, and the pair strike up an unlikely friendship. Um, I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I just watched it very recently, so it was very fresh in my, in my mind. Um, it's kind of got like a develops into this strange sort of buddy movie almost like it's a kind of bleak buddy road movie um and it's quite uh it's got quite a slow burn style of storytelling there's long passages where uh, very little happens really it's character driven more than it's um plot driven um but i had I had a good time with it and i think um it it was well acted. It's actually the debut, uh, feature debut from the leading actress, Saidi Harla. Um, and I thought she was great. Just kind of this nice story about these two lost souls from very different backgrounds and how they come together. So I guess like you could almost compare it. Not, not, it's not a, uh, it's not romantic in the same way, but like it's kind of got that before sunset kind of comparison with these two strangers meeting on a train and uh yeah I thought it was good I think um yeah what did you think Amanda yeah I totally agree and I was actually thinking that it's the same thing so before the before trilogy is certainly my favorite we were just talking about Ethan Hawke and um how he didn't really fit in the Viking film for me because I usually want to see him on a train talking to a to a lovely French woman um but this film really you know, it does fit this kind of train buddy idea or like there is it, all films we're talking about kind of fit within a genre. Right. And so this is more maybe my kind of genre. So the the train film, I mean, you have like Wes Anderson's Darjeeling Limited and, you know, um, North by Northwest. And I mean, just it's kind of kind of long lineage to this, but it really does take it's it's a really unique take on it. Um, as you said, I think kind of feels like a buddy film. And it's about uh, these two characters. And like you said, slow burn, I think I think that works really well. I really love the titles at the beginning. They just captured me and they were colorful and really maybe has this kind of, I don't know, French new wave sort of feel. I, I make tote bags basically inspired by, by that kind of look. So I, they captured me from the very beginning. Um, I thought it was, a, I, thought I, was, I was really interested in, you know, the story, the story of her, her journey. And then, you know, at first was like, uh oh, I'm stuck in the you're you kind of you feel confined because you're in this, you know, and in, in, in the train. And so you're stuck with this, this, you know, not very ex exciting, um, you know, guy that you'd you'd be stuck with. For, so it feels very claustrophobic for a bit. And yet how that turns into that relationship, which, you know, won't give anything away. But it's it's again, it's more about a relationship of two people. It's not a romance, if you will. It's not, it isn't before sunset. It's, you know, it's about connecting with people um, from different parts of your, you know, from different backgrounds and different parts of your life and, and who, who you find yourself, the found family that you find um, in, in, in scenarios, situations in your life. And it was, it was really great. Um, I thought it was the only thing I would say is that when she finally gets to the um, the, 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 where she, her destination, which seems to take forever. And I obviously it's R Russia. So, you know, it, it, it does take forever. Um, I, I was like, is that it? <laughs> Maybe that's because I had seen the Northmen and even Lost City. And they were all about, you know, finding these sort of like, yeah, these glorious sites and views and stuff like that, you know, or, or yeah. like found treasure or whatever. And then we get to this, hieroglyphic sort of space that she was look had traveled so far for and then I'm like don't kill yourself over mm -hmm. this you know um but that that was just maybe yeah. a little amusing 
I think it kind of some it's kind of the embodiment of like it's all about the the journey, not the not the yeah. destination. Because um, maybe it did seem a little anticlimactic, like when she uh, when she uh, reaches Murmansk. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree with you about the about being a relationship between these two people who were kind of stuck together in uh, unusual circumstance. Um, and we've we've seen it before that kind of opposites attract um, idea where she's quite timid and vulnerable and a bit of a lost soul trying to like figure stuff out she's got a relationship that's you kind of get the impression that it's not going as she might have hoped um and then he's like this guy quite intimidating and maybe from the from the wrong side of the tracks if you will would be in a train movie um and we've all come across these guys on public transport where they're um well maybe that's just me in edinburgh but you'll see these guys that are a little bit um abrasive and um intimidating and she I guess like doesn't I think in in the early stages you feel like she's judging a book by its cover and then as the story goes on the writing really explores the um how they've actually got things in common I guess um and they find some common ground and it's it's really interesting and really well written how their how their scenes play out especially I think once the story moves forward and one or two other characters come into play it's interesting to see their dynamic shift um, throughout the film no i agree and i i do have I have one particular long train ride um in through the countryside of france where i had a similar character i will not give the details of that situation but a uh, similar character right next to me for hours and hours overnight and it wasn't a compartment no beds you know uh, very rough rough journey um but yeah but no definitely we've all been there um with some sort of public transportation experience uh but this was um yeah this was an a vehicle if you will get into uh, a story of you know a, a, like i said found family sort of this idea of a, a building a relationship with those who who can you know with who you meet and 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 how important that can evolve over time and i i really i, I love these kinds of films this is my type of film not the viking kind of film so it was definitely something i was really happy to see and um quite think it's worth a check because like you said a slow burn so it isn't isn't very very dramatic there weren't you know there's not um, swords and uh, lost treasure <laughs> and and whatnot that we experienced in the first couple of films, but uh, a great a great film. We'll want to see more from this director um, and also the the actors in this film. I think we'll look out for more. Um, also, just great to see this. Um, yeah, the, the 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 way that they filmed this landscape. You know, I mean, like we said, you know the the Eggers film is quite stunning and beautiful and how, how he took the landscape, but this, you know, felt, this felt also very cold, but very, very isolating. And I just, I, I liked the way the whole, the whole film was, uh, was shot um, in, in a different way. Yeah. It was quite different the way that it was made for a train movie. Um, it's quite bleak and low key and yeah, you get a bit of the landscape, but um, it's very much about being, um, enclosed and uh, how that how that affects the characters and and uh, their relationship. Um, I will mention that in the opening scene, um, the main character, the protagonist, is at a party where um, they're reading out little snippets of poetry. And I thought it was really nice that they've got. Um, I'll quote it here. That it was a quote from a Marilyn Monroe poem called "Seeking Another Loneliness Out." And the quote was, only parts of us will touch only the parts of others. Um, it was an unpublished poem. And I thought that was quite nice that they have that in at the beginning and it kind of sets up um, sets up the story quite nicely. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's, that's such a good point. And um, yeah, so it's a great film. We highly recommend you see it. Compartment number six, I kept saying compartment six, but it's compartment number six. Um, and... Uh, and it's out actually on in cinemas right now. And I believe it's on Cars on Home as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So check it out if you can.
this is so funny. <laughs> I know, right? Like, when was the last time we saw each other? The last time we saw each other was when I was in Syria in 2010. I know. 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. Um, all right, so I'm back and I'm here with Laura Wada, who is the filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker who just um, um, made a film, Born in Damascus, that won the Crystal Bear for Best Short Film at the Berlin Alley um, as a Scottish Syrian filmmaker. Hello, Laura, how are you? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm good. How are you? Great. Um, I am a huge documentary fan and went to Berlin Alley uh, to see a lot of the documentaries. Missed your film there, but um, but saw that it won and was just thrilled to to see somebody from Scotland. Um, you know, won won that. Um, so congratulations. Thank you so much. And it was very, very well deserved. I got to see it and it's really, it's so emotionally, it's, it's really powerful. And, and I love how you used um, your, your home footage and edited it that I just think it was incredible. But can you tell us a little bit about how you came to make this film? Yeah, so when the first lockdown started at the beginning of the pandemic, I'd already been planning to make a film about my cousin, Lejeune. And I'd always seen the film as being something that, I would go over there and it would be about us reconnecting in person. And when the lockdown started and everyone began communicating online, I realized that this feeling that everyone was experiencing of not being able to see their loved ones was something that wasn't unique to my family. It was something that we'd been experiencing for the past 10 years since the war began. So in that kind of time, I just started making the film in a different way and it became more about reconnecting with her online as opposed to in person, because that wasn't possible. Yeah, and it was really powerful um, to talk about memory. And I think that's a core aspect of the film and, and uh, how you remember certain times and how how uh, she remembers, remembers certain times and how she she's, she's sort of forgotten due to the trauma. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's something that I've sort of been exploring in other films that I've made, and it's something that I've always been really interested in. and it's kind of like looking at the archive footage and realizing that we were having different perspectives of the same thing was what kind of interested me the most. And it, it's sad to know that she doesn't remember things the way I do, but I also, I've been a bit naive about it, but now I understand that obviously because of the different paths that we took, that is why that happened. Um, but I think that the themes of memory and trauma and grief, they all kind of go together. And I really just wanted to explore the memory aspect in this film. Whereas in other films, I've looked more into trauma or grief and nostalgia. But I think that in this film, I really wanted to explore how people's memories are different. Yeah. And so I, I've seen three of your films um, now and they're all incredible. And, uh, and a lot of them are very personal. Uh, about your family. Um, uh, so what 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 kind of drew you to, to, to make these personal stories? To, to begin with, when I first got interested in filmmaking, it was when I was a teenager and I had no plans of be like becoming interested in making documentaries. It wasn't even something that I'd thought about or considered. Um, but the first proper film that I actually made ended up being a documentary because it was when I was at college and we were told you need to make a film a documentary basically and so I started making a film about my Scottish grandfather and it was through that process of making a film about him that I realized that this is actually what I enjoyed the most and that this is probably the most powerful to me anyway this was the most powerful way of exploring the themes that I was interested in and then it was him who said you know you should make a film about your cousins in Syria and at the time I just remember thinking how, how would that even be possible it was the year that the war started and I knew that we couldn't go there they couldn't come here um, and that was when I started looking at all the old home video footage. And that's kind of where this journey began. It was 10 years ago, just looking at all of the old home video footage. So my, it was never a decision to become a documentary maker or to make personal films. It kind of, the, the two things happened at the same time. Yeah. 
difference. Um, and, and I really think, yeah, the way that you use your personal home footage is really, really powerful. And you use it across a, quite a few of your films, right? Yeah. Um, the first film that I used it in was Flight, which was about my two young cousins at the time who were only nine and seven years old. And they made the journey from Turkey to Greece in a dinghy and basically made their way across Europe. And the film was about them arriving in Sweden and what their sort of year after that journey was like. And that's where I started using the home video footage, but I never really got into the personal side of, like I never, I didn't really feel like I put myself into the film that much. It was more about them and I was kind of on the outside looking in. And then with another film that I made, Isle of Us, was not about my family members, but it was about Syrians settling on a remote Scottish island. And I used the footage as a way to kind of make Munzer, who was the main protagonist, his memories come to life in the film. Um, but this time, this was, with Born in Damascus, this was me really going into the footage and actually using it as, you know, scenes and like my part in it. And that this is probably the most personal film I've made. Yeah, and I mean, like I, I saw those those two films and they're beautiful and they're beautifully shot in the sort of the real time using the mixture between the archive and the and the real time footage. Uh, but I think this one was really special because it was mostly using uh, the the archive solely mm -hmm. as as kind of the main visual apart from the you know a few bits where obviously you're online talking to your cousin so mm -hmm. I, th I I really liked yeah just to sort of see the evolution of of how how and and perhaps was that was something to do with the lockdown or just obviously the story or 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 what but I, I was very interested to to see that thank you um to be honest with you it was actually working with my editing consultant Maya Hawk she really sort of I was very reluctant to make a personal film and to put myself in so much of the film and it was I was kind of pushed by her and my producer Charlotte Hailstone to kind of dig deeper and go into where I was kind of maybe a bit self-conscious or insecure not really wanting to you know because it's like embarrassing looking at videos of yourself from when you were 13 um but no I'm really glad that they pushed me to do that and I felt you know safe and comfortable enough to explore those things. This this film was part of the Bridging the Gap program tell, tell me a little bit about that experience what 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 is bridging the gap and did you pitch was the idea that you pitched to that program similar to what it ended up being or or did, did it change over time it was this yeah it was the same title it was it was basically the same film that ended up being it's funny how you all when when I pitch a film you think that it's, it goes on this journey and it's like almost becoming something different but it always kind of comes back to what you, where you originally started in some ways um, but yeah, so Bridging the Gap is a scheme in Scotland where they select proposals from filmmakers to make their, a short film and they sort of train you, like they give you workshops with different filmmakers and help you develop your film further. And that process is really valuable, even if you don't get the commission, that those months are really useful and helpful and they flesh out your idea with you. And then you pitch to Creative Scotland for the commission and I think it's, it's different every year sometimes it's four people sometimes it's five people will be commissioned to make their short film and luckily I was commissioned I have applied to Bridging the Gap before back like 10 years ago when I was making flight and I went through the development process but then didn't get the commission mm -hmm. so it, it was really it was interesting doing it again and you know being successful this time but yeah, no, it's a really, really, really good scheme. I would recommend it to anyone. You said you, you went to school for filmmaking and decided to get into documentary. How do you feel like your documentary uh, yeah, career has, has evolved? And are you looking to make some uh, films coming up? Or are you working on something right now? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Time's gone so quickly, but I just, it wasn't that long ago that I graduated from the National Film and Television School. And... They, that experience was really good as like that was a really I, I learned so much during that course and I think now I'm basically trying to make Born in Damascus into something longer that that's kind of always been my idea like basically since the war my family have become scattered all over the world everyone is living in different countries and it's no one's speaking either so 
my question now is kind of, was the war the catalyst for this breakdown in communication or is it something that would have happened anyway? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of interested in exploring all the different relationships between family members and my dad and his siblings. Um, so Lejeune's mum, there's three three boys, three girls. And when they were younger, when they were children and teenagers, they were in my grandfather's band. He was a famous composer in Syria. And they were sort of like the Arabic von Trapp family. And oh. they, they've kind of gone, so there's all this really great archive footage of them as children performing. And the thing that I'm kind of trying to explore is how did this family who were so close become so scattered you know everyone's all over the world and only my grandmother is in Damascus now so yeah that that's kind of what I'm working on just now that's the that's the big thing that I want to make that's like my next plan no that's that sounds incredible and I do because I really I really saw the connection obviously between flight and born in Damascus and I think equally both films that I just I, I really enjoyed and it, it was really beautiful and I really really lo- loved them so you're looking into doing more of a feature film than at this stage in your career yeah I feel like all the short films I've made up until this point have been kind of building to making something a, a longer project so I think this is now this this feels like the right time to start working on that absolutely and working with um Charlotte and Hailstone how did that come about Have you known uh, that company for a while or how did that all work out no, we met through the scheme. This is another really good thing about the scheme is that they put you in touch with producers and they, they let you do like test pitches to different producers in Scotland before you do your main commissioning pitch. And she was the first or, or maybe the second producer that I spoke to. And it was almost straight away we realised that we really got on and I could just tell that she got the film and she understood me. And so when I got the commission straight away, I said, I asked her if she wanted to produce it. And then, yeah, we've we've got a really good working relationship but it's become friends so now it's kind of we're going into this next project together this longer version yeah amazing well I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing it or hearing more about it because I think yeah no it was incredible and I do think um I I really loved Isle of Us too and I feel like there might be hopefully we could talk there might be a way for us to share that with Cenotopia events or something like that as well um but yeah so I Born in Damascus is is touring right now, different film festivals. Do you have sort of some somewhere where people could see it coming up or is there or something to look up, look out for? Um, the next place that's on, I think, is the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. And I'm not sure if they're doing an online um, accompaniment to that. I think it might just be in person. But there, there's a few other film festivals coming up, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say which ones yet. But <laughs> if there are any that are online, I'll definitely post about it and say that it's... Because I think they do this thing where they like geo-block it and you can watch yeah. it when you buy a ticket for the festival. So I think that would be, yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations again. I um, Yeah, and thank you for taking the time to chat with me. And I really, yeah, I really love your film. I highly recommend everyone see it as, if, when they can at the, next, at the next opportunity. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you. that wraps us up for the April edition. Uh, Big, huge thanks to Laura for uh, chatting with us about um, her film and her film filmmaking. And uh, thank you again, Gary. It's great to have you back on the show. Hope you'll come back many more times. Uh, Gary, how how can we um, see your work just to let everybody know? Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me back, Amanda. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Hope to be back again soon. in the meantime, all my reviews are on my own website. It's uh, cinemaperspective.com. And you can find me on Twitter at cineperspective as well. Great. And do you have any exciting uh, plans or are you looking forward to some films coming out? I think I'm going to go see the Nick, the new Nick Cage film this week. Silly Films is my, 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 uh, my April, May. How about you? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm um, looking forward to the Nick Cage one. Um, planning on seeing The Outfit starring Mark Rylance and um, the war movie as well with Colin Firth, um, Operation Mincemeat. I think I might see that tomorrow. So uh, look out for reviews, um, hopefully, um, for those soon. Well, lots of big films coming out soon in the next couple of months. So stay tuned. We'll be, we'll be reviewing them all and we will see you next month. Mm-hmm.